out and set me down in the car while drool dribbled out one side of my mouth. And she took me to the house and tucked me in, and I got up somewhere around noon Tuesday. Uh, just worked me to death, I'm telling you. Uh, Heather also uh, spoke over there, so we had our wagon loaded. I'm grateful that uh, my friend Bill Jessup was able to be here with you. And Bill uh, called and gave me a report as he normally does. You know, Bill just has trained eyes, so he comes and looks at us with uh, a different perspective. And this is what he told me. He said, he said, this is my third time now to be at Grace, and here's what sticks out to me. He said, every one of the announcements that you guys make at the beginning of your service has something to do with what you're doing outside the walls of Grace Church. And he said, you don't understand probably how unique that is. And since Bill said that, I've been, when been playing back in my mind, and he's exactly right. Uh, last Sunday, the announcements that we heard was about what we're doing here. Y'all come be a part of it. And Grace Church announcements are what we're doing out there. Y'all, let's go and serve. And that really is unique. So I, I want to thank you guys. I, I've heard from several sources uh, what a great representation we had at the football game Friday night. Thank you for serving up there. Uh, thank you for, for just going out into this community and infiltrating them like that by our service. Because there are folk that are taking notice and they're asking questions, aren't they, Jerry? So thank you for just having a servant's heart and doing that. And we're going to continue to do it. Dr. John says the reason uh, we did do that is because it goes back to the very early days. Uh, we never had enough money to have any events at the church, so we just had to go where people were. And we're just going to continue that. Uh, man, why have our own meeting when folk are gathered somewhere else? We'll just go get up in the middle of them, right? So here we go. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 is where we are today. So we're going to pick up right where we left off, uh, verse number 1, and I'm going to read through verse number 9. So here we go, making our journey through this book that the Apostle Paul wrote to a struggling church down in Corinth. And here's what he said, And I, brethren could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are not you fleshly, and are, are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So, so then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters it is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. You have probably noticed that before every significant boxing match that is televised, they will have a little section prior to the match which is called Tale of the Tape. And that's where they give the measurements and the weights and all of that of the fighters. And I don't know if you've ever noticed or not, but some of those guys that get in the ring, man, they, they've got a, 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 a wingspan like a windmill. I mean, if you want to try to hide from them, get somewhere where they couldn't hit you, there's nowhere to get. 
because they can just about reach slap across the room. And that's what the tail of the tape informs us. And here we have the same type of idea where Paul is measuring this church down in Corinth. So he pulls a standard up on them and he gives us the tail of the tape on the First Baptist Church down in Corinth. And I'm not so much concerned about what the tape tells us about the church in Corinth as I am about what the tail of the tape informs us about Grace Church Boniface. So let's look at it under this subject and see the tail of the tape and ask ourselves this question, how do we measure up? So we're going to, have to kind of lay ourselves alongside what Paul gives us as the statistics of the church down in Corinth and lay them beside our life, not only as individuals, but our life as a body of believers here in Bonifay, Florida. Notice what it is that Paul says as he gets right out of the chute on these folk. He tells them that they did not or they do not measure up because of their unflattering predicament. I mean, they really were in a predicament down there. I heard somebody the other day describe a predicament as this. If you're wondering what a predicament is, a predicament is when a malpractice attorney has to have major surgery. Man, that would be a, that'd, be a, that'd be a predicament, wouldn't it? Now, how would you like to know that you just sued the cardiologist who's about to open your chest up? <laughs> that is kind of a predicament. Well, here these guys were, and they were in an unflattering predicament. And look at the predicament that Paul just lays out for them. We can do it here in verses 1 through 3 because everything basically that's separated by a comma is another description of their predicament. Look what he says. And by the way, when you back out and you look at this entire context, when we look at the contextual neighborhood of this passage and go back a little bit and go ahead a little bit, we find that Paul describes three type of people and there only are three type that, that are, are, are possibilities. Number one, Paul talks about the spiritual man. Here he says, I could not speak to you as spiritual. And then in uh, verse number 14, he talks about the natural man. And the natural man is someone who's never been born again, someone who does not have the Spirit of God. And then here in this verse as well, he talks about the carnal man or the fleshly man. So it's up to us to decide which one of those categories of people we're in because there are only three options when it comes to determining which one of these people we are. We are. We're either natural, have never been born again, we either are born again, but yet we are fleshly, more living under the control of the flesh and the influence of the flesh, and we are the spirit, or we are a spiritual person, and we'll define that here in just a little while. But notice how Paul defines these people down there. He tells them, number one, you are in a, 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 an unflattering predicament because you have some unacceptable traits. Some unacceptable traits. Unacceptable traits in relation to what? Well, in relation to how long they had been believers and in relation to everything that God had done. So check out as we look at these commas. He tells them, number one, the first un unflattering trait was that they were still drinking milk. Still drinking milk. Now, he basically says, I had to give you milk, and here's the second part of that unflattering predicament, because they could not handle meat. So there's two right there by those two commas. Notice what he says. You were not able to handle solid food, so I gave you milk to drink. 
Hey, it would be mighty strange, would it not, if we had folk come in here today who were 30, 31, 32, 33 years old. Let's go all the way down to our college students, 18, 21, 22. And instead of coming in with a, a Yeti tumbler, you came in with a collapsible bottle full of baby formula. We would consider that something's not right there. And everybody would raise one eyebrow and look at those adults who were still drinking milk from a bottle. But nobody seems to blink an eye when folk claim to have been born again years ago, but they're still drinking milk and not able to take solid food. Now, check it out. Let me just give you a, a, a little idea of what milk is so that we'll know if we're on milk or meat. So check this out. Look with me in the passage that uh, Sandy read this morning in Hebrews chapter number 5 and 6 because, man, what a great corollary passage it is because here the writer of, of, um, of the Hebrews, by the way, my vote is for Apollos who wrote Hebrews and he's mentioned in our passage there uh, in 1 Corinthians. Look what it is that, that Paul, or excuse me, that Apollos says in Hebrews chapter number 12. He says, you ought to be teachers by now, but you are not. Now, check this out in verse number 12. You, you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. He's, just, he, he, he's saying the exact same thing that Paul says in Corinthians. Now, look what he said in verse 14. Solid food is for the mature who because of practice, that means they don't just hear it, they do it, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good from evil. Now, check out verse number 6. Therefore, leaving, and here's our word, the elementary things. This is the milk. So he's about to tell us what's elementary. He's about to tell us what's milk. As a matter of fact, he would say, if you want to know about one of these subjects that I'm about to delineate, y'all not have to come to big boy church. Y'all to go to children's church. Y'all to go to Grace Kids because our Grace Kids can explain these things to you because they're elementary, they're milk. Now look what he says. Let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation. And here you go. Here's that subject. Number one, repentance from dead works, of faith toward God, of instruction about washings, of laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Those things, Paulus says, are milk. They're elementary. Those are for immature. So let me just ask you. How many of you want to teach Sunday school next, next week on any one of those six subjects I just rattled off? Because he says that's baby stuff. That's baby food. He said let us move on to the meat of the word. Now check this out. Let's get back to our 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 passage and the tail of the tape that Paul pulled on them says they didn't measure up because they're unflattering predicament. They had some unacceptable traits. Number one, they were on milk. Number two, they could not handle meat. And number three, Paul says, he says it twice in this passage, you were walking like mere men. Acting like mere men. Now here's what he's saying. He's saying, you folk have been born again. You have the Spirit of God, that is the third person of the Trinity, living within you. And you are acting like mere men. Now, you know what that means for somebody to act like a mere man, a mere man or a, a mere person, even though they've been born again? 
That means this. They only rely on the physical faculties that they have available to them to make decisions. The physical faculties that we have simply because we've been born one time. Like, like, like our perceptions, our feelings, our emotions, and our brain. But can I say that God's given additional equipment to a born-again believer? And we don't act like just mere men. We don't make decisions like mere men. We don't walk like mere men. We have a little bit more equipment. So for some of us to act like mere men, even though we have the Spirit of God within us and the Word of God before us, is a pretty unflattering predicament. It would be like this. It would be like owning a Formula One racing car and never driving it out of your driveway. It would be like owning an F-16 aircraft and only using it to taxi down to your mailbox and back every week. It would be like owning a luxury yacht but never getting it out of dry dock. And you see, that's a pretty unflattering predicament. Now, notice what all of this means. You see, Paul says your predicament is pretty unflattering because you're, you're old enough to be eating a ribeye steak and you're still sucking a bottle. So he says you're, you're taking milk, not meat. You're acting as mere men. So here's, here's the summation of that and fourth quality of their unacceptable traits. Number one, they were miserable human beings. They're miserable. And I'm going to point that out to you in the text a little bit later, but let me just t- tell you why they're miserable right here. Someone who who is in this unflattering predicament, they are miserable for two reasons. Because you don't fit in any one of those groups of people that we just identified. Stop and think about it. Somebody who's been born again, if you have the Spirit of God inside you, you cannot be happy living like a sinner. You cannot. And there's a lot of folk today who have a whole lot of problems upstairs and in here And the reason is simply because they're living in contrary to their ultimate identity as a born-again believer who has the Spirit of God living within them. And if you're trying to live like a lost person as a believer, I can promise you, you are not going to be anything other than miserable. Because the Holy Spirit of God who is within you is going to be grieved. He's going to be quenched. So you know what that tells me? That tells me you are not going to fit in with the barroom crowd. You're not going to fit in with a bunch of lost folk who don't give one care about spiritual realities. You're not. You're going to be miserable if you try to fit into that crowd. So here's the dealio. Man, there's a lot of folk today that claim to be born-again believers. They're just happy as a lark in that crowd. i got news for you. Let's pull the tape of God's Word down alongside of you and see if that testimony measures up to the infallible Word of God. You can't be happy in that crowd. But get this, you also won't be happy with the church crowd. You know why? Because you're living in sin. And you're living like a mere man. So folk who who are living like mere men, who are on milk and not meat, they are miserable because they don't have anybody that they can relate to. They don't fit into this crowd. They don't fit into that crowd. They don't fit in anywhere. And I hear people tell me that sometimes. They use those exact words. Pastor Richie, we just don't really fit in. What have you just said about yourself? 
You see, people who are in this unflattering predicament and have these unacceptable traits, they are miserable human beings. Man, you know anybody like that is just grouchy as they can be? Wake up in a bad mood? Uh, Dr. Kitchen, you say about one guy that we knew that he was born in a bad mood and then relapsed. Uh, that's, that's just the way it goes. Man, if you're walking contrary to God's Word and contrary to the Spirit of God that's within you, you're just not going to be a pleasant person. That's all there is to it. Just not going to be. So check it out. Number one, look, their, their, their unflattering predicament, they had some unacceptable traits. But number two, they had these unacceptable traits even though they had sufficient time. Sufficient time to do what? Sufficient time to grow. Check out what Paul says in verse number two. He says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not in the past able to receive it. And indeed, even now, you are not able. So here's what Paul's chiding them for. Paul probably planted this church, I don't know, A.D., late 50s, early 60s. He's writing this letter probably about A.D. 68. So there's a possibility of 10 years that lapsed. 10 years that lapsed in their life and they still are acting like babies. You see, here's the thing. Time alone will not cause you to grow spiritually. It will not. Just the passage of time is no benefit if you're not using that time correctly. And that's what these Corinthian believers were doing. So they were still in an unflattering predicament even 10 years later. So let me ask you, where are you in relation to how much time you've been a believer? Do you know it's possible for somebody who's only been a believer one year to have more spiritual perception than somebody who's been born again for 30 years? Depending on how you use that one year and how you waste 30 years, so where are you? Hey man, do you fit in somewhere or do you not? Are you able to consume meat or is it just milk? How much time has lapsed in your life? Check out number next. They, were, they had these unflattering traits, these unacceptable traits, even though they had sufficient time to grow. And check out this next reason in verse number 4. Even though they had great teachers... Great teachers. Look what Paul says. Paul went down there. He says, some of you saying I'm... And they misinterpreted and used it wrong. And then Apollos was there. Acts chapter 18 tells us Apollos was mighty in the Scriptures. I mean, he was the silver-tongued preacher of the primitive church. When you heard Apollos preach, your jaw just dropped open. He was that good of a communicator of spiritual truth from the Word of God. Hey, how about this? How about Aquila and Priscilla who spent significant time down at Corinth? They had some of the A-list teachers and preachers of the primitive world and they were still babies. You know what that tells me? That tells me you can sit under some of the most gifted teachers for as long as you want and not grow one iota. What a shame. I'll never forget as a young preacher I was starstruck as most young preachers are by the guys who were at the top of the game back in that day and who had the big churches and all of that type of stuff. 
And I remember Heather and I were off one Sunday and we went and I sat and listened to one of my heroes preach. And while I was sitting there just enthralled at how this guy was exposing truth of the scripture and I was just sitting on the edge of my seat soaking it all in, I happened to catch something out of the, out of the corner of my eye in my peripheral vision and I looked over and there was a guy sitting in one of them big comfortable chairs in that big old plush auditorium just about five seats down from me and that dude was sacked out snoring. I'm talking about he was visibly disturbing folk around him. That's how, that's how deep of a sleep he was in. And I thought to myself, Self, <laughs> if that dude can sleep under this quality of preaching, there ain't no hope for him. None. And number two, I thought, if they can sleep under that guy's preaching, what in God's name are they going to do under mine? <laughs> no wonder, huh? But look, here's a guy that Paul's talking about. You stand up and start talking meat and exposing truth from the Scripture and they immediately check out. You know why? Because they can't digest it. And you know what it sounds like to them? It sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher. You got it, Perry. I mean, some days I think, estou pregando em português porque ninguém está me ouvindo. What'd y'all understand right there? See, if I'd have been in Brazil, everybody would have been right on it. But sometimes I think, wait a minute, am I preaching in the wrong language here because I'm losing folk? What's going on? Check it out. These folk are in an un unflattering predicament. They had some unacceptable traits even though they had sufficient time and even though they had great teachers. Number next, I got to run. The tail of the tape pulled up on them shows they didn't measure up because of their unflattering predicament. Number two, they did not measure up because of the undeniable proof that Paul shows them. Here's exhibit A. You all know if you're spiritual or not, look what Paul says. Verses 3 and 4. For you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy. There you go, let's stop right there. Let's underline that word, jealousy. You know what this is? Hey, man, this is exhibit A. This is their feelings. Their feelings. And you know, I'm glad that feelings are a part of who we are. And feeling has its place in faith, but its place is not the engine of the train. Its place is the caboose of the train. And man, if you turn that thing around and you live by your feelings and you live by your emotions, guess what? You are still fleshly. And here's what Paul pulls out as exhibit number A. He says, let me just point out some of your feelings. Feeling number one is jealousy. Jealousy. Now, here's a, here's a good way to define jealousy. You can tell me if you've ever been jealous. Boy, I tell you, I've been green with it sometimes. Here's what jealousy is. Jealousy is when something good happens to somebody and you're mad because you think it should have happened to you and not them. <laughs> huh? You ever been there? I mean, that's, that's jealousy at its heart. Something good happens to you instead of me coming along and celebrating and saying, man, I am so glad this has happened to you. I hold back and think, huh, why them? 
That should have happened to me. I deserve that more than them. What happened to them? Man, I, you know something you just got to fight sometime. I mean, let's just be honest. Hey, there's some, uh, there were some issues. I, I used to have to fight this all the time because I had the wrong model and wrong, wrong mindset of ministry. You see, here's what our, our system does for young preachers who are just coming up. We hold up the model of these guys who have churches where they preach to five and six and seven thousand every Sunday, and we think, man, that's success. Not necessarily. But everybody used to think, that's where I want to go. That's where I want to go. That's where I want to go. So me and a, a bunch of friends that I started college with went all the way through seminary with. I mean, that was our goal in life, was have a big church one day. <laughs> one old boy said, my goal was to have... Uh, my goal was to have a pretty wife and a big church. Turns out I got them two opposite. Any, anyway. <laughs> anyway. Let me try. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> thank you, Aubrey. Thank you for swooping in and saving me, Aubrey. Now, what was I saying? <laughs> what text was I in? What passage was mine? Pretty wife, big church. Thank you. <laughs> but here's what I had, Jamie. I do have that, by the way. When we were going through, through uh, seminary, uh, back in those days, it wasn't an option. If you were on a preaching track, you were in the biblical languages department. I mean, you had to speak Greek better than you did English, or you just didn't graduate. Nowadays, they're making preachers, make, making preachers weenies. They don't even have to take Greek. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand. But anyway, I had three or four friends with me, and those three or four friends have said publicly and will say to you today that they would have never made it through Greek in seminary had it not been for Richie Allen. Now, I didn't mind helping them through. I mean, that's what I was there for, right? To help. But get this. All three of those dudes are just about to retire as millionaires. You know why? Because they got out of seminary and they got the church that runs five and six thousand. The teacher gets out of seminary and he goes to Brazil and starves as a missionary. So there was a time, thank you, there was a time that I had to fight jealousy. God, I taught those guys and they've made millions preaching. <laughs> and here I am in the jungle of Brazil having to beg for a biscuit before I go to bed every night. What's up? Poor old pitiful me. Hey, that was before I was enlightened. Can I say to you today, I wouldn't trade positions with any one of those guys. I would not. I wouldn't trade y'all for the biggest church in the state of Florida. Did y'all hear me? I would not. I tell my friends all the time, we've got the best thing going in Bonifay, Florida. It's grassroots. It's as close as thing to the New Testament I've been a part of. And our folk have a passion for the Lord. We just came in this morning, Dr. John, and I said, listen to those folk in there singing. Hey, thank you for coming to church and singing. Huh? I mean, we just got it going on. Thank you. I wouldn't trade with any of them. But I'm going to tell you, there was a time in my life when I was jealous of those dudes. I thought, why does it happen to them? It's all to be happening to me. i got to run. Notice what Paul says, because I was still fleshly. That's the bottom line. Right. Now check this out. 
not only does Paul bring as exhibit A their feelings, but Paul brings as exhibit B their fighting. They're fighting. I don't know of anything more unflattering for a church than it to be involved in church fights. Hey, can I just say to you, I've had enough of that to last me through all eternity. I won't do it no more, huh? And can I say this also? Uh, I think, let's see, what's this? 2022, I started in 2008. I, 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 I've been preaching at Grace Church for four years. You know how many church fights we've had? How many? None. We got a perfect record going on here, don't we? We're not going to mess that up. But notice what it is that Paul says. He says, in that verse, he says, For, in verse, you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy, and look at this next word, strife among you. You know what that is? Fighting. They're fighting. Hey, if your feelings are not under control, it's just a short step to go from feeling to fighting. Is that right? And I began to think the other day, and I, I want to run this by y'all. Y'all just tell me. And here, I think here's why maybe we don't have fights at Grace Church. I want you to take this statement that I'm fixing to give you, and you run it through your theological filters and your biblical mindset for a couple of days. Because I'm going to make a categorical statement, and you just see if it's true or not. Here's the categorical statement. I have never had in pastoral ministry a serious problem with a spiritual person. Did you hear that? I have never had a serious problem with a spiritual person. And you know why that is? Because spiritual people just know how to work things out. Now, now watch this. I didn't say I never had a disagreement with a spiritual person because that is true. But disagreements among spiritual people never become serious problems because they know how to work those things out. Because both of them, when you've got two spiritual people that have a minor disagreement, they are both going to submit themselves to the authority of the Word and the leadership of the Spirit. And when you do that, ladies and gentlemen, it won't be a problem for very long. Right? So Paul points out and says, y'all are still fleshly because of your fighting. But notice the next, next uh, piece of evidence he brings to the table. Exhibit A is their feelings. Exhibit C, uh, uh, B is their fighting. And exhibit C is their factions. Look what he says. He talks about these fashions, factions. For one says, I am of Paul. Another says, I am of Apollo. You know what this is? You know what's going on down First Baptist Court? Hey, we have perfected this over the past 2,000 years, have we not? Here's church clicks. Church clicks. Man, can I make another categorical statement? If there's a click that exists at Grace Church, I don't know about it. Do y'all? If there is, somebody let me know about it. <laughs> Maybe it's a click that I'm not in, I'm not in I, they don't let me in. I don't know. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just don't think we have that. You know why? Because we have a greater agenda than to have cliques. As a matter of fact, Miss Dees came in this morning with her son Bradley, and this is what she told me. She said, I have told my church about this church, about how friendly and welcoming y'all are every time I come in here. And can I say thank you, Grace Church, for not being factious and not being divided, and not 
be uh, having cliques and not being led around uh, by our feelings and fighting with one another. Hey, listen, church is not enjoyable when that happens. Can somebody say amen? It is not enjoyable then. But I think we got a bunch of folk here just like coming and hanging out with one another because we are building a spiritual community down here. doesn't mean we don't fight with the flesh. We do. It doesn't mean you won't have to beat down jealousy every now and then. You do. But by golly, it's not winning. Amen? Here we go. Now check out. This is what I've been preaching for all morning to get to this last section because here's how you can tell if you do measure up. We've seen Paul pull the tape on them. They didn't measure up because of their unflattering predicament. Number two, they didn't measure up because of the undeniable proof that he brings against them. But number three, we can measure up when we have an unclouded perspective. An unclouded perspective. Now in verses 5 through 9, Paul's going to begin to teach them in pure Pauline style like he does. Rather than saying, now listen you idiots, I'm going to tell you something. He just kind of models it for them. Now you remember that little lesson we had the other day uh, about inclusive and exclusive we's? Well, that's going to dominate, again, our understanding of this section because notice what Paul says in verse number 9. He says, for we are God's fellow workers. Is that an inclusive or exclusive we? Inclusive. Look at it again because what does he say in the second part of that sentence? We are this, but you are that. So that is an exclusive we. See, Paul's only referring to him and Apollos and Timothy and some of the leaders that have been down there. Here's what he's referring to. He's referring, he's referring to the spiritual folk who interacted with Corinth. But look what he says. He says, but, he, he says in verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field or God's building. So now in this section what Paul's going to do is he's basically going to lay out some things that I want you to emulate in us if you are ever going to get out of this fleshly lifestyle that you're in and you're going to become a spiritual person. Alright, so here we go. Number one, an unclouded perspective. If we have an unclouded perspective, we will focus on function, not personalities. Hey Grace Church, you want to know how to keep clicks out? You want to know how to keep jealousy out? You want to know how to keep fighting out? Paul's going to tell us right here. The first thing he tells us is focus. That's a perspective. Focus on function, not on personalities. Now look how he does that. I want you to see it because this is extremely important in verse number 5. Look what he says. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Now do you know how unusual that is for someone to speak of an individual and use this pronoun rather than another pronoun? Look, he said, what is Apollos? Normally when you're speaking to somebody, what pronoun do you use? Who? But you see, who does just what Paul didn't want them to do? That is focus on personality. If you say who, then you're focusing on the person. If you say what, then you're focusing on the function. So here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, y'all ought not be focusing on the who. But can I say to you, man, this happens so much because folks are fleshly. You, you want to know what an unspiritual fleshly church looks like? It's somebody who calls a pastor based on all the wrong... They call a pastor based on who, not on what. Who, not on what. Look, I can remember the day 
Back in the day, you remember I always talk about, I can remember the day when a church called and asked for your resume, you had to send a picture with it. So they know what you look like. Huh? That's folks in on the... Y'all think, I'm, y'all think I'm making this up, but you can't make it up. I've had folk reject us because they didn't like the way I wore my hair. I have had folk reject us because I talk too fast. I have had folk reject us because I preach more on the left-hand side of the pulpit than I do on the right. Y'all laugh, but I'm telling you, this is the gospel truth. I mean, I can't help it. that I just naturally gravitate to the left. It don't mean I like Ben Wilson any more than I like Jamie. I'm just a left-handed preacher. I don't know why I just am. But we have been... We have been despised and rejected because I'm a left-handed preacher. (laughs) I mean, that's the kind of garbage you have to deal with today. But here's what he says. Paul says, it's not who, it's what. Do you know why I want to be valued in a local church? Get it. It's not because of who I am. Because a matter of fact, if you really know who I am, you'll like me even less than you do now. You see what I'm saying? (laughs) I want to keep the who to me. But let's focus on the what. Here's why I want to be valued in local church. For what I can bring to the table. And I tell folk all the time, it don't matter who the who is. If you've got a preacher that's preaching the word, then leave him alone for what kind of shoes he wears, how he combs his hair, and all of those fleshly things. Listen, if you've got an orangutan who can expositorily preach the Word of God, and by golly, you better take care of that orangutan. You know what I'm saying? I mean, here's the thing. If you value what somebody does, then that person is valuable to you, right? Hey, Grace Church, it doesn't matter if y'all ever like me. I'm really not in that. Because here's what I want to do. I want to decrease, but I want him to increase. So it really doesn't matter if you're not all that fond of me because I'm socially awkward and inward and introverted and say the wrong things most of the time. Huh? Where's where's Tiffany? Oh, Tiffany. (laughs) Look, she just went, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Tiffany tells me all the time when I'm sitting next to John because I look and she wasn't by John. She said, when I'm sitting next to John and you say, hey, can I just get off script a little while and say this? I said, we both just shudder. (laughs) We don't know what he's about to say. But look here, here's what, it doesn't matter all of that stuff. doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is can the boy bring the goods. And I've told our elders, I have told Cliff, and I told Jerry in that first meeting we ever had, and I tell John Wilson and Dane, if it ever gets to the point where I can't deliver the goods on Sunday morning, then by golly, will you please tell me, Pastor, what's wrong with you? You're just not bringing the goods, so you're out of here. I'll be glad. All it's going to take is somebody to walk in here that can deliver the goods more consistently, and I'm saying it's yours. I mean, it's about function. It's not about personality. So Paul says if you want to be a spiritual person, you focus on function, not personality. A lot of folk come to Grace Church... Don't come back because they didn't like the preacher for whatever reason. And I say, my goodness. I'm not going to say what I really think because I'll get in trouble more. 
But here we go. Man, let's get to the point to where a sermon is judged on something more significant than how long it lasted, huh? And whether the preacher stood on the left-hand side of the table or the right-hand side of the table. Check out number next. I'm hurrying right along. Paul says if you've got an unclouded perspective, number one, you'll focus on function, not on personalities. Number two, you'll focus on the Father, not on the instruments. Look what Paul says. Get back with me to this verse. What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? And he answers his questions. Servants through whom you believed even as the Lord gave opportunity. Isn't that cool? Here's what he's saying. He says, man, I'm nothing. Apollos is nothing. Who is something is the Lord. Because none of this would have happened if it hadn't been for him. We were just servants. And you know, we were we preaching, are we teaching Sunday school in Exodus where Moses came up with that burning bush? I'll never forget when I was at the Baptist College of Florida, this preacher came and preached on that passage one, one, one day in chapel, and this is what he said. He said, listen to me, preacher. He said, don't get the big head because God could use any old bush. And it's the truth, ain't that right? I mean, the preacher is nothing. He's just the bush that God chose us to use. I mean, God can speak through a donkey. I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot of intelligence to be used of God. Just get out of the way and let God do it, right? So he says, it's not the instruments. And have you ever noticed this? Have you ever noticed that when you have something wrong at your house, let's say you've got a plumbing problem, or you've got an electrical problem. Let's say you've got an electrical problem, and Jason Aldean shows up. And he gets out, and he's got all these sophisticated tools. And he begins to use those tools to fix your problem. Let me ask you a question. Do you have any interest in what, type, what kind of tool he uses? I could care less. Don't explain to me how you build a clock. Just tell me what time it is, right? I mean, I don't care what kind of tools you use. Don't, I can't even remember the names of them. Can't pronounce the names of them. Just fix my problem. I don't care what kind of tool he uses as long as when I turn the switch my light comes back on again, huh? And that's the same way it is in the church. Listen, it's not about any personality. It's about our function. We're just instruments. If we'll focus on the Father who takes the instruments and puts them in His hand and uses them for His glory, we'll be a spiritual church. That's all there is to it. Now check out number next. I'm hurrying on through this. Whatever number next is, focus on function, not personalities. Focus on the Father, not the instruments that He uses. And then number three, focus on growth of the family. Look in verse number six. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. You see that? Growth, growth, growth. How do we measure ourselves? And it's not so much in counting nickels and noses. We're talking spiritual growth. Is anybody going from infancy to adolescence to adulthood to fully functioning follower of Christ? Man, I want to tell you, there's something about a growing church, is there not? Man, that's what I want to be a part of. I don't want to be a part of church going backwards. I've had enough of that to last me for eternity as well, huh? Don't want to go backwards? Get this. Don't even want to stay stagnant any longer. I mean, I don't have enough years left in my lifespan to waste doing that type of stuff. So what do we focus on at Grace? We focus on spiritual growth. If we have spiritual growth, I promise you, we're going to have quantitative growth as well. 
we grow in quality, we will naturally grow in quantity. There's no escaping it. Look at the next one. Paul tells us we will have an unclouded perspective as spiritual people focus on the growth of the family. Verse number 8 tells us to focus on faithfulness, not success. Look what, look what he says. Hey, wait a minute. I'm not through with that. Yeah, I am. Let's go on. I didn't think I was through, but I am. Check this out. Look what Paul says in verse number 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. But each will receive his own reward according to his own success. Is that what the text said? What did it say? Labor. It said labor. Hey, whatever success is in your book, let's redefine it today, can we? Here's what success is. Success is you focus on your labor, on your work. It doesn't matter... If you ever see any fruit from it, you keep working. Hey, here's the thing about fishermen. Fishermen, I mean real fishermen, they don't fish because they catch fish. You know why they fish? Because they love to fish. That's why they do it. I mean, if, if, if you only love to fish because you catch fish, you, you wouldn't be a fisherman. Because most of the time you're not going to catch. And can I say, spiritually it's kind of the same way. Hey, we have got to get our mind and we as Southern Baptists have done a horrible job at doing this because we count everything and we evaluate people's faithfulness by how successful they are according to our own standards. And Paul tells us here that we're to measure ourselves based on our faithfulness, not our success. Again, look what he says. He says in verse number 8, Each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now, have you been a slothful, lazy worker at Grace Church? Then I got news for you. Don't look for a whole lot of reward. But get this. If you've been knocking yourself out, even if nobody has recognized it, it doesn't matter. You know why? Because you're performing for an audience of how many? One. And I want to tell you something. He's faithful. He's faithful. If you'll be faithful, He's faithful to reward you according to your what? Labor, labor, labor. So you know what old Richie says to young Richie who was jealous because his friends were getting the big churches and retiring as, mission, or as millionaires? Old Richie sends a letter to young Richie and he says, Hey, Peckerwood, grow up. Huh? Grow up. You just keep knocking yourself out. You just keep going to the jungles of Brazil. You just keep pouring yourself into Quilombola villages. You just keep going to mission conferences and preaching three sermons back to back to back to back and having to have your wife lead you out and drive you home because you're so tired. You just go ahead because I've got something for you, boy. Huh? That's what he says. Now check out this next thing. He tells us to focus on faithfulness, not success. And then he tells us to focus in verse number 8 on fulfilling your contribution to the team. Look at verse number 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. Do you see that? You know what that is? This is a team concept. We're a team. We are all 
part of the same body. Let's use that analogy because that's what Paul seems to be, seems to prefer. We're all part of the same body. You and I, no matter what your role is, we are one. We're on the same team. That's why I can't get why teams fight one another. Come on, we got the same goal. We're going in the same direction. We're serving the same Lord. Why is, why is it that we like to turn inward on one another and bite and beat on one another? He who waters and he who plants is one. So Paul says, here's what you do. Whatever your role is, whether it's watering, whether it's cultivating, whether it's planting, whether it's fertilizing, no matter what it is, you focus on your role and you do it well. You see, that's a team concept. I can't worry about anybody else. This is my role and I've got to fulfill my role. So how are you doing there at Grace Church in fulfilling your role? Hey, let me ask a more primal question. Do you know what your role is? Because you've got to know what it is before you can fulfill it. I read a book one time. That was a pretty good experience. I, I, I recommend it. <laughs> Y'all read one one day. <laughs> I read a book about this guy that used to go down to his local hardware store about three times a week. And he'd go in his hardware store, and every time he'd go in, this same young man would help him. young man's name was Eddie. He'd just go in and tell Eddie what he was looking for, and Eddie would take him right to it. Give it to him, he'd go pay, and he was on his way. He came in one morning, and Eddie wasn't there to greet him. The owner was behind the counter, and he said, Where's Eddie? And he said, Oh, Eddie doesn't work here anymore. And the guy thought, Hmm. I've always wanted to work at a hardware store. So he said, tell you what, sir, I would like to apply for the vacancy that Eddie left. And the owner said, sir, Eddie didn't leave no vacancy. You get it? All right, let me explain it to you. The owner said, Eddie wasn't doing enough that we even miss him when he's gone. He didn't leave a vacancy. We don't have to replace him because he wasn't doing anything. And here's what a spiritual person ought to do. My, this is what I used to tell my boys in the, work, in the workplace. Guys, here's what you do at your company. You make yourself indispensable to your company. You make it so that your boss can't run this company without you. You'll never have to worry about job security. You'll never have to worry about anything. You just get yourself in a vital role and you make yourself indispensable. And can I say this? That's good for church work too. You want to be spiritual? Here's what you do. You so plug yourself in fulfilling your role at Grace Church till we almost can't survive without you. There are no non-essential personnel at church. Everybody ought to be essential. Last week at that missions conference, I told those folk over there, here's what's ironic about it. We're ascending church. If you're going to be ascending church, you've got to get used to God calling from the very top of your essential list. Because He never calls folk that are doing nothing. He calls folk who are right at the heart of the ministry. And folks that you think, God, unless you replace Him, we can't go on. So here's what spiritual folk do. They focus on fulfilling their contribution to the team. All right, now check this out. Number next, 
And the last one, but I've got a summary statement. My goodness, look at the time. Here we go, I'm going real fast. Notice what he says. Last one, focus on becoming a farmer, not the field. All right, here is the difference. Here is the difference in an exclusive we and an inclusive we. Look with me in verse number 9. Paul says, we. Who is we? Me and Apollos and Timothy. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's bit. Now, why does he make a distinction there? Because here's the distinction. And what he's saying is, me and Apollos and Paul, we're farmers, but y'all are the field. Now, get this with me. A farmer's one who does all the work, and where does he do the work? In the field. So here's what a field does. A field only receives, but get this, a farmer's the one who always gives. And here's what Paul's saying. I want y'all to change your mindset, quit being consumers, and start being contributors. Stop being the field and start being the farmer. You see, that's spiritual growth. When it's not just about what I get from church, it's what I give to church. Paul says, if we do all that, we'll measure up. Now check this out. Here's one takeaway. I want you to write it down. Here is the contextual takeaway from all of these verses. Are you ready? You may not have to write it on the back, but here we go. Contextual takeaway. He who feasts on the Word of God and follows the Spirit of God has unlimited spiritual potential. Let me say it one more time. See, that's what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about you can't feast on milk. You ever know anybody that died you for a feast and they gave you milk? You don't feast on milk. You feast on the meat. He who feasts on the Word of God and who follows the Spirit of God, because that's what a spiritual person does. See, that's the difference between a spiritual person and a fleshly person. He who feasts on the Word of God and follows the Spirit of God has unlimited spiritual potential. There's no telling how high you can go. There's no telling what God will do through you if we'll feast on God's Word and follow God's Spirit. Would you stand with me, please? Father in Heaven, thank You for Your Word. Thank you for your spirit that plants it in our hearts, leads us along the pathway of obedience. So Lord, I pray today for those who are here whom if the tape was pulled up against them, Lord, they may be like that Corinthian church and not measure up. And today is the difference maker in their life. Today's the day when the Word of God and the Spirit of God have combined to give them a holy desire for spiritual growth. I pray God today will be the day of obedience. I pray for those that are here that Lord just need to follow the leadership of the Spirit of God in surrendering their life to Christ for the very first time. I pray for those who are here today that need to follow the leadership of God and becoming a part of Grace Church and making their contribution to this team. I pray for those who are here who need to follow the Spirit of God and go into the ends of the earth. Whatever it is that you have said to us, God, could today be the first step away from spiritual infancy and toward maturity for your glory because you are worthy. Cause us to be obedient for your name's sake. We pray it in Jesus' name. Our guys and gals are leading us in one class.